before. I left my phone out at his house and I suspect he turned it on. Trying, it was actually because it was him who called me. So. All right, uh, Genesis again, thirty-nine, and we've—or uh, sorry, chapter forty. We've read chapter forty, and um, uh, we can't uh, take it all on, but uh, it's definitely a chapter we're familiar with. Uh, we're uh, familiar with the life of Joseph. It's—it's it's, uh, often the uh, favorite of Sunday school teachers. Uh, we learn it from Sunday school. We've read it a lot. It's actually laid out in sort of an order of the story. So uh, we have to, you know, just this morning, just touch on the high points. What I'd like to emphasize from uh, uh, chapter 40 is the challenge for uh, Joseph in this chapter. His challenge. Now, um, the butler, the baker, they had challenges, uh, but Joseph himself had a challenge. Uh, and verse uh, 1 of chapter 41 says this, that it came to pass at the end of two full years. So uh, Joseph uh, helps these two men out. He's sympathetic to their cause. He listens. Well, actually, it says he noticed that uh, they were sad. Uh, and he's sympathetic, he's compassionate to their cause, he helps them. The only request he has of them is that they might remember him, right? You know, uh, which is interesting. Uh, you think of correlation between the life of Joseph, the life of the Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus asks us to remember him, right? You know, actually, there's a, uh, I think there's even, even, um, uh, bread and wine in this chapter, isn't there? I mean, the cupbearer, the baker. There's bread. There's there's wine. Uh, certainly, that reminds us of the New Testament. You know, the night in which the Lord Jesus was betrayed, um, he took bread and wine. Right? You know, sometimes people say, well, uh, you know, it was the Passover. He just, uh, you know, just took two two random items. Right? Uh, and we say, hey, they were. They were there, no question about that. We agree with that. Uh, but we don't agree with the idea that they were random, right? They were common, the Passover, but not random. And so, uh, just in thinking about maybe uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, seeing it sort of tied to this value of remembrance, uh, we learned last night the law first mentioned. Uh, when was bread first mentioned? In the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, right? So let's turn back just a few pages to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, this is the first mention of bread in the Bible. Uh, verse 17 The curse is, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And so the first mention of bread in the Bible, it's linked with a curse, right? That's the first mention of wine. Well, that's just over a couple of chapters, right? Chapter 9, 
chapter 9, verse 20, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And then we drop down, verse 24, So Noah awoke from his wine and knew that what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And so the first mention of wine in the Bible, it's linked with a curse. The first mention of bread, linked with a curse. The first mention of wine, linked with a curse. Now what about them together? What's the first mention of them together? Just over a couple of pages to uh, chapter 14. Verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said. So the first mention of them by themselves independently, both of them are linked with a curse. They're brought together for the first time in Scripture and linked with blessing. Does that remind you of anything? Well, how about this, huh? Well, the Lord's Supper, cursed, the Bible says, is everyone who hangs on a tree. Uh, Peter said that God made him who knew no sin to be accursed for us. And so the Lord, that's what the, the Lord's Supper is, is, it, is an opportunity to, to remember him, right? To think about him, to think about the Lord Jesus, the fact is able to take all those things associated with a curse and bring them together in one, right? Bring them together in one and um, bring blessing out of that. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, that even in the context of the passage we just read here, the life of Joseph, you know, his challenge was, I suggest to you, that waiting period, right? He, he helped his, uh, those two, the the butler and the baker. And then the, the Bible is very specific that it was two full years. You know, the Christian life is twofold, isn't it? Do you remember when the, the Thessalonians, Paul uh, recounts how the Thessalonians were converted? Do you remember in chapter 1, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, he said, uh, how you turned to God from idols. This is interesting. Paul's gospel presentation, he didn't preach against things. Let's make sure we understand that. right? He didn't preach against things. He lifted up the living God. He allowed uh, the living God to, to re- reveal everything else is fake. Right? So, so um, you know, when Paul lifted up the living God, he didn't have to tell them that their idols weren't living. They already knew that. Hey, uh, the whole context of the the idol worship in the Corinthian epistle. Remember what was it? Remember the meat? You remember what, what was the challenge? Uh, well, this was the challenge: is that 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 the idol worshippers would buy meat and offer it to idols at the temple, and what would happen to it? How much of of that meat would the idols eat? None of it. So it would come in the front door, and then they had to somehow get it out the back door. So they already knew there was a challenge. The idols had no appetite, so they were selling it at a discounted rate. So this is what Paul is working through, that 
you know, if, if Christians who were mostly slaves bought this discounted meat, how did that work? And so that's what he's talking about. So when Paul went to Thessalonica, he lifted up the living God. Well, they could draw the comparisons. Or everything God isn't, our idols aren't. And so then he goes on to say this. He said, um, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, part one, and what's the second part? And to wait for his son from heaven. The Christian's favorite word, waiting. You like waiting? You don't, hey? Um, have you ever said this, I wish I had waited? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I've ex- most that's my experience. Man, I wish I'd have waited. It's hard to wait. Um but it's not just hard for us. And the children of Israel, they had, hard, they had a hard time waiting, right? Uh, turn to um, Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Now it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this man Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Did they believe that Moses was the man who brought them out of the land of Egypt? Well, that's what they said. Um, but you remember in Exodus chapter 15, that's not what they were singing. Do you remember that song? You guys sing that song? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he is thrown into the sea. Hey, they attributed, when they were standing on the, on the resurrection side of the Red Sea, they attributed the deliverance to the Lord. But here they said it was Moses. So they forgot. They say, well, it was probably a long time. Hey, how long was it? Six months? Yeah, or less. Less than six months, probably months. Like I would suspect three, you know, two, three months, something like that. Uh, and so uh, their, their memory was short. How long was Moses gone up on the mount? Forty days. But they didn't wait the whole 40 days because remember this is in the middle of it happening. And they said, hey, we can't wait any longer. So now we need... Uh, this man, Moses, who brought us out, we can't wait any longer for him, right? We can't wait any longer for him. Uh, we need to build ourselves a God who can take us back to Egypt. And so they built an idol. They built a calf out of gold. Uh, of course, we would never do that, would we? We would never build a calf out of gold. That's ridiculous. But, you know, that's not the only form of idol worship, is it? You know, um, Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he talks about idol worship. Remember, he says this word, covetousness. Remember that? He says, covetousness, which is idolatry. What is covetousness? Hey, CHM's definition of it is, 
is wanting something God hasn't given you. You ever done that? Have you ever wanted something God hasn't given you? Never? Well, there's a few. So just there, it, you're in the, you're a rarity, brother. You and me both. Because most every other Christian, that's not their experience. And, and so, at some level, we're idol worshippers. Well, of course, hey, uh, if you would say, um, who's the most loving writer in the New Testament? I think we would all agree it's the Apostle John, right? The most loving writer in the New Testament, John. Uh, what's his last verse in his first epistle? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to do. And so uh, it, it, it happened in Israel's life during that waiting time. When they couldn't wait, they turned back. And so you know, that's what we're seeing in Joseph's life. He's in that two-year, and that's a long time. You know, when you compare that Israel couldn't wait just months, uh, it's hard to wait. In fact, it suggests that it's what shipwrecked most of, hey, many of many of the Old Testament saints. Turn to um, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Not some, not most. Most is not right. That's not the good. That's not a good word. Some. Now this is the the um, count in the life of King Saul, who uh, would be a picture of the man of flesh. Partway through verse 7, it says, For Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. The people were scattered from him, so Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people that were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord, therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, Notice this, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul lost the kingdom because he didn't wait. Is that a stretch? This is the passage that it says. I mean, we know physically it hasn't happened yet, 
But that's exactly what Samuel said to him. And so it's important that we establish that idea that this is where he lost the kingdom. Now we know that eventually the crown was taken. We know that. But this is where it happened. This is where God declared to Saul that he, if he had have waited, the kingdom would be established forever. But he didn't. And so Samuel says that the Lord is going to raise up for himself a man after his own heart. Now we know that's David, right? And, um, you know, sometimes there's lots of speculation. How was David a man after God's own heart? Like I've heard, you know, three, four, five different things. Uh, I'm not sure what you think. Uh, Maybe it's even something beyond that. But I'm going to suggest to you that the way in which David was a man after God's own heart is that he knew how to wait. Is that true? Think about his life. Did he know how to wait? Um, What's the pinnacle of David's life, do you think? Like, what's the highest point? I mean, think of some of the low points. Hey, the low point scripturally is is Uzziah, right? That's the low point scripturally. Spiritually speaking, that's the low point. What's the high point? Um, well, I would suggest Goliath. That's a high point, isn't it? I mean, how many movies use the plot line of the story of David and Goliath? Little over big and it's victorious. Hey, all of them. Almost all of them. It's always the ongoing theme, how somebody out of nowhere, right? It's a Cinderella story out of nowhere uh, comes and, and defeats the giant. Is that the story of David and Goliath? Was he a Cinderella story? Well, that's in chapter 17, right? Chapter 17 is is when David... Slayed Goliath. Was it a Cinderella story? No, it wasn't. When was David anointed king of Israel? 16. He was already anointed king of Israel in chapter 16. When David went down into the valley of Elah, he was the rightful king of Israel. How come nobody knew it? Would you have done that? When his brother said to him, what are you doing here? Who would you leave your few sheep with? Want to come down and see me and your big brothers, what we're doing down here? Who would you leave those few sheep with? I probably would have said, hey, do you know who I am? You guys think you're somebody, you know who I am? But he didn't. A dozen times, as you read through the book of the Psalms, you know what you'll hear David say? The great song writer of Israel? My soul waits. Not for man, not like the mistake Saul made. Saul was waiting for a man. Um, he's waiting for Samuel to come. David says, my soul patiently waits for the Lord. Uh, we say this is the way in which 
David was a man after God's own heart. I wonder if it measures up. Is the Lord waiting? I mean, is Jesus coming back? Is he? What's taking him? What's taking him? People ask you. I remember I used to preach at the Union Gospel Mission. Uh, it was a rescue mission in the town we live in, and uh, it was a lively crowd. You know, that was, um, they, uh, much like here, um, you had to listen to the preaching before you got lunch or supper. And that's the most effective way to do it. I mean, it would be nice if the other would work, but it just doesn't. I mean, here they were gracious enough to give us breakfast, but the best meal is probably still coming, right? So uh, that's how the Union Gospel Mission did it. And so you'd have all these street people waiting while the preacher preached, and they're hungry. And so you'd get things from the back like, shut up and sit down, or hurry up, or we've heard all that before. Uh, And so there's lots of often negative feedback. And so I ask that question. Jesus is coming back. Have you ever wondered what's taking him? And this guy way at the back yells out, he says, I have wondered that. I said, that's an easy one. Do you know why the Lord Jesus hasn't come back? Peter tells us. Hey, he's not slack concerning his promises as some consider slackness. But he's long-suffering, not willing that anyone would perish. And so, in fact, the Lord is waiting today. I mean, uh, if we want to think about what his plan is for us, we don't have to speculate on that. His plan for us is that we might be with him Right, He says that. John's Gospel is high priestly prayer. My desire is that they might be with me where I am, that they might see my glory. But he's waiting. There are yet people in this town, your town, maybe in your family, uh, who the Lord's waiting for. And um, somewhere, sometime, the last one is going to enter in and the Lord Jesus is going to come back. It'd be a privilege to be that person involved in that process, whatever it looks like. And so this idea of waiting, it's hard, but it's half of the Christian life. You know, David waited. He knew how to wait. He waited for God's timing. He had lots of opportunity to take the kingdom. Do you remember his generals, uh, his nephews? I mean, remember when Saul was lying in the camp sleeping? And Abishai said, um, David, let me uh, strike him with my spear to the ground and you won't have to worry. That'll be it. David said, uh, the Lord's anointed. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. You might say, but, but um, David, you're the Lord's anointed. He said, yes, but the Lord hasn't put me into that position yet. And so even when he became king of Judah, right, that was only part of the kingdom. Um, 
He still had to wait eight years after that before he was king of all Israel. Do you remember that's kind of a graphic story? Uh, that's in Second Samuel. You remember that that it says that David finally came to power. He was king over all Israel. Do you remember his first action? Remember his first action? Second Samuel chapter nine. David says this. Finally comes to power. Says, is there not somebody in Saul's family? whom I can show the grace of God towards, the kindness of God. You remember, that's the account of Mephibosheth. That's, um, that's exactly like... It is Mephibosheth, isn't it? Yes, Mephibosheth. And it is Second Samuel 9, right? Am I right about that? Okay. Um, it reminds us of this verse in John chapter 13. It's referring to the Lord Jesus says this. He knowing that all things had been committed into his power. What does it say next? He rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he bathed his disciples' feet. Now we've thought already of the Lord's Supper. Remembrance. That passage in John chapter 13 should have been where the Lord's Supper was instituted. It's not. It is in the other three Gospels. But it's not there. In that passage is the towel and the basin. And some have said, and I think it's good, that as equally as important as the cup and the loaf, the towel and the basin. This idea of being involved in... in um, Others' lives. You know, that's what the Lord Jesus is teaching in John chapter 13, right? This, this, this responsibility that I am my brother's keeper, right? We are each one's keeper. And so, uh, this idea that we're thinking about uh, of remembrance, hard, right? While we're waiting. We thought about the Lord's Supper. Uh, thought about idol worship. The tenancy while we're waiting when we can't wait any longer. Um, does the Lord's Supper help us in that? Turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This will close. Now, it's always encouraging to see how um, Scripture is is connected together. You know, some have pointed out the logic of Paul's argument in things. Right? We want to want to try and somehow see that. We want to see how uh, things are connected together. So, uh, chapter ten, chapter ten of First Corinthians uh, begins with that. Account we read about in, um, well, included that account we read about in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, uh, verse 6, he says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink 
and rose up to play. And so that's Paul taking us back to uh, Exodus chapter 32, right? That, that's the connection, right? And so, uh, but certainly the main idea, one of the main ideas running through First uh, Corinthians 10 is this idea of eat and drink. Right? I mean, it's in the verse we just read, eat and drink, but is it anywhere else? Uh, okay, well, uh, verse 2, he says, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank. Right? You see it there. Then, then, then the next line, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. Uh, the verse we already read, eat and drink. Uh, then down to verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, you cannot partake or eat of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Um, verse 28, But if anyone says to you, this was offered idols, do not eat. Uh, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So eat and drink is the connecting word in 1 Corinthians 10. Do you agree? All right, what about an 11? Verse 29 of chapter 11. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating. Verse 22, eat and drink. Verse 24, take, eat. Verse 25, drink it. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup. The next verse, eat of the bread, drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks, verse 29. Verse 33, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, notice this, wait for one another. So it's clearly the connection. Can the Lord's Supper, right? The remembrance of the Lord, can somehow that deliver me from idol worship? Because remember, uh, Christians wait. Joseph had to wait. There's a challenge in waiting. People have struggled in that waiting period. Hey, easy to be active in service. This idea of sitting and waiting is hard. Israel, when they were sitting and waiting, led into idol worship or it led them into idol worship. They couldn't handle it. So, so... Somehow, Paul, in his argument, has connected that idol worship with the Lord's Supper. Can the Lord's Supper deliver me from idol worship? Well, what is idol worship? If C.H. McIntosh's definition is right, desiring something that God hasn't given me. What has God given me? Well, you know, when we come together on a Sunday morning, to remember the Lord Jesus, right? And that's its purpose, right? To remember the Lord Jesus. And we come together on a Sunday morning to remember the Lord Jesus. And we look at those emblems. We're reminded, yes, of His person, of His work, for sure, but more. Here's our last verse, Romans chapter 8. And this would be a summary, could be a summary, the, our thinking process at the Lord's Supper. 
verse 31 of chapter 8. What then? This is the, the, the climax of his argument. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? As we come together Sunday morning to remember the Lord Jesus, if we think of what God gave us in his son, he gave us everything. You know, um, Boyd Nicholson tells the story, he used to tell the story of being in a shopping, in a, in a grocery store. And um, a lady in front's buying her lottery ticket. And she says to the teller, she says, you know, someday I'd just like to meet somebody who's really rich. Boyd said he couldn't resist. And he says, ma'am, put her there. She's like, are you rich? He says, ma'am, I'm so rich, I don't even know all I have. She's like, wow, that's rich. She said, if you don't mind uh, asking, how did you get it? She said, he says, by inheritance. And she's like, ah, that's always the way, by inheritance. <laughs> and he had the opportunity to tell her how wealthy he was in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance. Now, it's not here. Joseph was able to see past present circumstances to look to that next life, that real life, right? You know, they said that um, D.L. Moody used to tell people, hey, listen, one day you're going to read in the paper that old man Moody died. He says, don't you believe it? I'll be more alive in that day than I am in this day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, Thank you for fellowship together in your word. Father, we just pray that as we think through the life of Joseph, uh, through your word, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened for the life that you have for us, that we could, um, could find your will for our lives and live it out. That, Father, as we move through this life, we could be a blessing to others. Uh, that, Father, in the language of the Lord Jesus, in the summary of his ministry, as he went around doing good, that we could be a people stimulated and stirred up to love and to good works. Father, bless your people here, the assembly. Make them a blessing to those around them, to their families, to their friends, to the na- their neighbors. Bless our continued fellowship together in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.